watching all movies with Rebecca and Jason. Are you gonna love them or hate them? Here comes the binge. Hey everybody, welcome to the binge, in which a couple of homos review the latest movie theater releases. I am Jason Leroy. And I'm Rebecca Larte, and we have three movies for you this week. Hustlers, The Goldfinch, and Official Secrets. And as always, we're going to rate these movies on a three-tiered scale, with Binge It being our highest rating. Consume in moderation means it's okay, but it's kind of meh. And send it back means... Life is too short for that mess. Jason, we've taken a brief hiatus from each other. Um, our latest and a long string of them. Ah, uh, yes. You know, sometimes you have to listen to your therapist. Yeah, and uh, sometimes you take an international vacation together, and you just need that extra minute. You think you've recovered from it, and you're like, you know what? No. No. A few more weeks. A little bit more time. A few more weeks to let the heart grow fonder through the absence Mm -hmm. again. Yeah. Otherwise. When I I saw you today, I just lit up. I was so excited to see you. You did. So, and you just kind of, no, you, you did, you did still glare. Mm-hmm. Um, but the glare is part of what I love. Mm. So I've, I've, I, I need the glare and I got it today. So yeah. I'm feeling good. Missed you. Missed you. Um, you went to LA. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, I, uh, as we are taping this, there's a little thing called tiff ding oh that is still going on. And yet I am here already talking to all of you about it because I they kicked didn't. you out. <laughs> Because they found me out that time that I fled the Hilton Hotel without paying oh, my bill. Yeah. <laughs> that finally came to light. Did and that never come back to you? Not welcome back in the country. No, that was that was my angels. I'll tell you. They were looking out for me that time because there was not even a, a whisper of a consequence. Have you ever set foot in a Hilton again? I still stay at that hotel every wow. year. Every year. Haven't said a thing. I feel like not you're asking word. to be caught. This is a very like Louis C.K. movie. For all I know, Woody Allen repertoire. <laughs> for all I know, a friend of the show, Christian, actually took care of this for me. So I'll just preemptively thank him uh, for uh, for not letting the hotel attack me. Fair enough. Um, but I uh, I did go to TIFF this year, but just for a short little time, just the first four and a half days. Uh, it started last Thursday, and I left. Friday e or Sunday evening rather, and between Thursday morning and Sunday at five p.m., I did manage to see nineteen movies. Wow! So I I really committed. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to take it for granted, um, and so I just I went in and I just went hard for that short period of time. And honestly, I'm okay with the fact that I'm not still there. Yeah, because <laughs> I kind of wiped myself out that first weekend. So, um, but I did see some some good good titles. I would say my top five were Parasite. Oh, I can't wait. Yes, the new movie by uh, Bong Joon-ho, who made Okja and Snowpiercer. Uh, Waves, the latest by Trey Edward Schultz, who did Cresha. Mm-hmm. Uh, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, oh, Marielle Heller's yeah. Mr. Rogers movie. And uh, a movie called Proxima by a French director named Alice uh, Wienokar starring Ava Green as a female astronaut. One of two female astronaut movies of the festival this year because it also has Natalie Portman starring in Lucy in the Sky Mm -hmm. about that female astronaut who did the diaper thing. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Although the internet is currently furious that apparently there are no diapers diapers. in in this movie. Uh, So despite the 30 Rock joke about that lady, uh, about, you know, trunk full diapers, you know, Memphis to Tampa in 10 hours, whatever it was. Um, I feel like I saw the trailer for that movie and 
maybe it's the haircut. Maybe it was the lack of knowing what the movie was going to be about. But I thought it was going to be about Sally Ride like the whole time. And then I was like, what happened here? She didn't do any of that. She's an American hero. <laughs> that is a misunderstanding. <laughs> you were just ready to just chant the lyrics so we didn't start the fire the whole time. Kind of, yeah. had heavy metal suicide queued up. Ready to go. And, uh, it took a turn. It, and it blue balled you. Mm-hmm. Um, I, was, I guess better thinking that's about Sally Ride than Krista McAuliffe. Also. Mm. Yeah. Did you watch the third season of Glow yet? Wait, do you watch Glow? I can't remember. I do watch Glow. I have not seen the third season. Oh, yeah, I did. I saw the first episode, which so, is the one. Yes, yeah. which is the one of the Challenger Explosion. Yeah. Which shouldn't be said with a smile the way yeah, I just Yeah, what's did. up with that? I do apologize. Uh, and the fifth movie that I loved at the festival this year will be reviewed on this episode. Uh, the Goldfinch. <laughs> the Goldfinch. The Goldfinch did actually play a tiff, uh, and that's where people first heard about how bad it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, the the fifth one is Hustlers, which we'll be getting to momentarily. But, which uh, is our pick of the week, correct? It is our pick of the week. That's right. Uh, so it was a quick tiff, but there were some great movies and uh, and uh, and some stinky movies. Pretty much your pretty your your, your usual lineup. Mm-hmm. Um, sadly, I had to leave before they screened Joker. I had to leave before they screened Jojo Rabbit, mm. uh, Lucy in the Skies. We mentioned the Harriet Tubman movie. So there's still plenty to see this this fall. It's the a Harriet almost, Tubman astronaut movie. The Harriet Tubman astronaut movie. The Harriet Tubman Jojo Rabbit movie. Mm-hmm. All of them. And uh, you know, it's actually nice to have some things left that I haven't already seen because. It's kind of almost anticlimactic to watch literally every single fall and winter movie over the span of 10 days at the beginning of September and then just have to sit there for the next three months and, and wait. wait and wait for other people to be able to see them so you can talk to anyone about them. Mm-hmm. So uh, this year I'll get to do a little bit of both. Exciting. Uh, yeah. So uh, so here we are and the festival's still going on, but we're taping the show. And uh, that is what is up with me, Rebecca. What's up with you? Well, while you were um, in... Toronto. I was in Dublin for work and Ireland, um, Dublin, not mm-hmm. Dublin, Pleasanton, the Ex- Bart stop. Exactly. Right. Um, they didn't go send me to go fix that Bart station <laughs> once again, which means it's just going to stay broken. Yeah. So, uh, That's sorry about you. that. Um, and something interesting that I learned, I had dinner with friend of the show, David Fitzgerald. Hey David. Uh, who's been a guest on the show before. And, um, he was the Irish one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we think of things in a very U.S. centric way, and when uh, people listen to the show in other countries, things don't come out at the same time as things come mm. out here. So he was saying sometimes it gets a little frustrating because we'll talk about movies and they're nowhere near being released um, in Dublin, and Sorry, there's nothing David. we can do about it. But um, mm. so you went I, on sort of an international listening tour of um, of frustrated fans. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and say. immediately found one. Yes. <laughs> That's well, why I can't set foot in Australia. No, no, we never can. No. Uh, but uh, David, Too many fans. We do, we do apologize for that, David, and all of our international listeners. Um, and even, you know, people who are in the U.S. and are just in places where the movies don't come out for like another also, two months. Yeah. But we usually release the episodes about two months after we tape them. So it's actually... <laughs> I'm doing my part. So you can all shut up. <laughs> You're fine. International fans, on the other hand, our apologies. Uh, we're always happy to spoil the movies for you if you want us to. If you want to just have the experience of watching it, knowing what happens, just ask. We'll mm-hmm. tell you. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime. Um, yeah, don't let international business agreements about movie releases stand in the way of knowing what happens. Mm-mm. We'll tell you. Um, and I think let's just get into the movies, huh? Might as well. Let's do it. Um, as we mentioned, our first movie this week is our pick of the week, and it's Hustlers. Inspired by the viral New York Magazine article, 
Hustlers follows a crew of savvy strip club employees who band together to turn the tables on their Wall Street clients. Um, I think you need to set a little... I think you've already talked about the history you have with this movie. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, you know, so full disclosure, the filmmaker of this movie, Lorene Zakafaria, is a friend of mine. And Does she know that? <laughs> she And she, is, she actually is aware. Um, over the... At, at TIFF, basically the main entire reason I wanted to go to TIFF this year and why I fought so furiously to get to go despite everything happening at work right now, which is the reason that I'm not still there. Um, is so that I could attend the premiere of this movie because I was there when her last movie premiered, The Meddler, um, which was like five years ago now. Mm. And uh, and I was like, and she's having it at TIFF again and I just want to be there for it. And Meanwhile, uh, my one-woman show, unattended by you. Listen, if it was in TIFF, I would have gone afterward. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would have sent roses, but... Uh, no, it was, it was gratifying, um, uh, at the after party after the premiere, because I got to introduce some coworkers to her and it kind of felt like now that was showing that I wasn't making it up, mm. <laughs> that it wasn't my like imaginary friend, Lorene. I haven't seen it. Uh, no, you have yet to, but, uh, someday, someday. Um, so she is, uh, we know each other, we're pals and, um, and I have kind of, been along for the ride in my own small way of the whole process of trying to get this movie made these past few years. And the fact that the movie even exists right now, the fact that as we're taping it, it's currently having, it's like Thursday night opening screenings. And this is a movie that was literally filmed in its entirety in March and April. Wow. Of this year. Um, it got like the go picture back in January and February they were in prep. And then in March they started shooting and they shot the whole thing, I think 28 days and then just were locked in to, you know, editing after that and post and, and to go from shooting like up to and through, I think even early May hmm. and to then have the movie ready to premiere, uh, at the beginning of September is truly insane. But it got fast tracked by the studio STX, and um, and and she pulled it off. So it's really, it's remarkable. There were many times where it seemed like it wasn't going to happen, and uh, and and it happened. And I feel like the final product is like there's just no sweat on it. That you you don't get that well, sense of rush. Well, there's yes, a little sweat on it. It is sweat, but it's sweat with body glitter. Mm-hmm, so. Yeah. There is not that sense of rushing um, at all. It doesn't hmm. feel like a rush job. I don't think. I think it feels very. I think Lorraine knew exactly what movie she wanted to make, and she'd had it in her mind for a long time, and she was able to execute that vision. Uh, and uh, so I. So yeah. So I'm not. So I'm. I'm not impartial. Right. Uh, talking about this movie. Uh, so I. I mean, I think it's great. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a great movie. Um, but uh, but Rebecca, this is the movie this week that you saw. Mm-hmm. Uh, so and you, and, 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 there's and, only ever one. And this and is the one you picked a good one, uh, and you saw it last night. Mm-hmm. You, uh, so how was what was the energy like in the room? Were people excited? Was it was it like a partyish vibe? Or? There, it was a partyish vibe for sure. Um, you know, they started off the it was the press and um, uh, other guests screening, and they started it off with um, a money gun. <laughs> 
where you, it's like a gun filled with fake money, oh um, which is not a great look for a movie theater. Let me just say that now. <laughs> right. Um, you don't want to bring any kind of gun into a movie theater, not really. really. No, no. no. pointed at the not, guests. Not nowadays. Bad idea. Um, and it was like a gift promotion thing. And uh, people were psyched. Uh, people were, were, the energy was and was very much um, excitement about this movie. Um, I feel like in a way that I haven't seen for a non-superhero movie in a mm, while. Mm. Um, I would say the audience was predominantly female. Yeah. Um, and Which is not what you expect for a stripper movie. Yeah. But it's kind of, I think, what you would expect given like what, what's what been the story of this movie. Exactly. It and hasn't been... And that's what's so unique about sold it. Sold as a stripper movie. It's sold as a like a, like a female heist movie. Precisely. Right? Um, and that's what's so interesting about the positioning of it. Go on. No, no, yeah, no. It was like that it, it's despite the fact that it is a movie about strippers mm-hmm. and it's a movie starring, you know, one of the world's most beautiful women, uh, you know, objects of desire. Constance Wu. Constance Wu. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, and, and, and plain Jane, Jennifer Lopez. Uh, <laughs> you know, despite the sort of the prurient appeal that you could expect from that, uh, it is, you know, the, it is just being positioned as a movie by foreign about women. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and that's part of what's so unique and special about having the first ever major movie about strippers to be written and directed by a woman. Yeah, it's, an ama- it's an amazing uh, thing to have this movie be about strippers and not shy away from stripping, right? Mm-hmm. It's not like yeah. a movie about um, strippers, but only in their personal life. You know, it's very much takes place in the work and workplace um, and how that bleeds into their personal life. But, um, in in no way it, the 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 job is shown as um i mean they, they definitely show the um maybe the less desirable side but you know they they there's this wonderful scene where jlo is uh teaching um constance Wu's character how to do kind of all the trip the tricks on the pole mm-hmm. and it's just seen as like um you know the incredible feat of strength and art and also jlo is amazing i i mean that i you, we have i've already gone too far without just <laughs> Stopping the brakes. Well, you know, hitting we, the brakes. What saying, you're doing is draining the clock. <laughs> I, I am draining the clock, um, which is what she told me to do. Right. This yes. movie, the 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 setup of this movie is that J Lo's character takes Constance Wu under her wing, and she takes the audience under her wing. Immediately, you're just like, I'm under along her, for this ride. Under her fur coat. We under this fur coat. Um, wow. Wow. I, I don't think you have to be someone that's like I don't I don't think J Lo's an actress or uh, no matter what your ideas were going into this I don't think you're gonna um, you're gonna be expecting what you what you see from mm. mm-hmm. it's a tour de force yes the J Lo performance mm-hmm. yes yeah no I I think that I started to hear leading into the premiere I started to see like some people in the press trying to say like Oscar buzz Oscar buzz and uh, and I was like wow that's Fantastic! Because I mean, any good thing I hear about the movie, I just get excited. Um, and, because so unbiased. <laughs> yes, exactly. I'm like, yes, yes, good that. Um, <clears throat> and then watching it, you know, I was thinking, like, do I think this is an Oscar performance? And by the end, I did. Mm-hmm. By the end, especially because you know, the, a lot of her most kind of like poignant um, acting comes in the in the third act, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and. Um, I do think they should run her as supporting. I think she has a real shot if they run her supporting. Mm. Um, because she is not the protagonist. Right. Destiny, yeah. Constance Wu is the protagonist. Um, and Constance Wu is also fantastic. I mean, mm-hmm. everyone in this movie is doing is doing solid work. 
Um, but even, you know, especially Mercedes rule, Mercedes rule, always coming through. Always. There's the Cardi B of it all. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. There's Usher. There's Usher. (laughs) Lizzo. Uh, there's, 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 there's many, many fine performances to enjoy, but, uh, but, but JLo is certainly, she's emerged as the reason to see it. And I remember when the trailer first came out, there was a lot of internet talk about like, Oh look, it looks like JLo actually made a good movie again. Uh, or it looks like JLo is kind of acting again and not just kind of showing up and being um, this persona in like a string of, you know, rom-coms or what have you. Mm. Because, you know, the JLo who we first met as an actress was doing serious movies like Selena and Out of Sight. Mm. Oh, right, yeah. And, mm-hmm. um, and then she, you know, kind of went on a different path and she became one of the world's biggest superstars. And, uh, you know, it seemed like almost whenever she decided to get into music that maybe Hollywood decided to stop taking her seriously, Mm. but she kept booking jobs, but they were all sort of like, they were just star vehicles that, you know, were very conventional, very straightforward genre exercises, whether it be comedy or romance or, uh, thrillers and, you know, and, you know, enough, let's not forget Mm. enough. Right. Um, but this feels like a return to the promise that she showed in those early roles um, before she was kind of resigned, before Hollywood stopped taking her seriously as a potential character actress. And um, and she gives it her all in this movie. Boy, oh boy. Um, I will say that uh, Lorene mentioned that when she was... Meeting with, uh, well, so I guess J-Lo had Lorene and uh, her boyfriend come to Vegas to see J-Lo do the same show that I saw last spring mm. with Heidi and with Rom and, uh, and, you know, brought Lorene backstage. And then A-Rod was like, you know, he's like, you know, he's like, Jen and I are really excited about this script and don't worry, I'm going to get her into shape for you. And Noreen was like, well, she's like, well, I just saw (laughs) what I saw just now. Seems like she's okay. Um, But like, but because you're in, I had that same thought because having seen the show, I was like, there is no way to, to to further define, (laughs) to further sculpt that body. And, uh, but God damn it. If there wasn't, they found a way because the JLo that you see in this movie in particular in her, already instantly iconic striptease to Fiona Apple's criminal. Go ahead, Jason, take it away. My jaw. (laughs) I don't know about you, but I had multiple like uh, moments watching that. That was just flabbergasting. That was, I mean, especially when she, when she clanks her heels over her head (laughs) onto the bar. Like, have you ever been to a strip club? I have. I have. But like what she does in that scene is just so athletic. And so, I mean, like, what did you think of it? I mean, I don't think I was expecting. And it's not just that scene. To me, that scene is part of a whole of the whole movie, which is Mm -hmm. like the confidence with which she moves and acts in this movie. Mm -hmm. The confidence in where she's vulnerable, the confidence in the way she dances, um, in the heartwarming scenes. It's just like, it's so present. She's so there. And um, she just, that scene and, and, and others were just, I felt completely powerless, <laughs> right? You're just sitting there. Right. Like I am just, just, I'm a slack jawed jelly fish sitting in this chair. <laughs> that is the, that is the JLo effect. Slack jawed jellyfish. 
I will say that uh, she came to the party afterward. We had all been kind of sitting there waiting uh, for her to show up. And we thought that she might um, because there were a few tables that had name cards on that said Jennifer Lopez. Um, <laughs> but there were too many of them. And we're like, these are decoys. These are to throw <laughs> us off the trail. But we did notice that there was this one table um, where anyone, it was just empty. And whenever anyone put a glass on it, some guy came over right away, picked up the glass and wiped the table where the glass had been. And we're like, that's where she's going to be. And, um, and then sure enough, eventually, like several hours into the party, uh, just the whole energy in the room change. And then you just see this kind of parade start to weave its way through the very crowded room. And we immediately became, I was standing at a table with some colleagues and we're like, oh my God, she's going to walk by our table. She's going to walk by our table. And then like a bunch of industry pros that we are, we all pulled our phones out mm, and started nice. to take pictures. Here's what I got. I'm showing Rebecca. Oh, wow. See how close she was. She was right there. She was right there. She, how fabulous. She walked she's by. She's short, huh? She, yeah, she's not that tall. Interesting. And, uh, and she, uh, and so she, and look like every single person in the room is staring just at her stopped. with their phones out. Yeah. Just frozen in time. She's the only person moving. She looks so confident and calm. Yeah. Uh, she's, and, uh, and she walked by our table and then she, uh, my colleague Lisa had to sort of like lean forward so she could uh, squeeze past. And Lisa was like, you look beautiful. <laughs> and she actually stopped and looked in Lisa's eyes and said, oh, thank you. And kept going. Uh, wow, you said nothing, and it, I I was just uh, flabbergasted. I was yeah. I, I had nothing it's to say. The J Lo effect. Yeah, and then she went and sat at the table with A Rod, and then they had security standing in a circle around the table. And at no point for the remainder of the party was there ever less than I would estimate thirty people standing there just with their phones up, wow. just filming her. And she just just played it off. It was remarkable. It wow. was just like this was this was not. This was an invitation-only party. This wasn't even like, yeah, oh, this is just random. Ran- this is not open to the public. Yeah. yeah, it's not open to the public. This is an invitation-only party, and still, even in that setting, <laughs> people just lost their fucking shit. She is the kind of superstar that there just aren't that many of. And this is, um, you had like a little bit of a realization when you went to go see her in Vegas, right? When you were like, yes. I've been sleeping on J Lo for a long time. Absolutely, I a hundred percent had that realization. Because, yeah, I think when we because when we decided to go uh, on that trip to see her, it wasn't really about her. We were just kind of like, oh, well, we, this is a group that we had at the time that kind of like going to Vegas together. And so we're like, well, let's just go. And who's playing J-Lo? Sure. Let's why, why not? Let's go see her. All of us, every single one of us were just so just transformed watching her. Like we're all we all just walked out like we are diehard fans. We will never question her again. We You've will been never do the Duolingo. Yeah, exactly. Doing the Duolingo. We will never say meh about her. Like she made us all into lifelong fans in that moment. And incidentally, that was the same week and the night before that we had first seen Lizzo in concert opening for Haim. Oh, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And now Haim and, and or now Lizzo and J-Lo are first are, are both in this movie. Yeah, the um, butterfly effect. That's exactly what it was. Do you think that something's changed in her recently to make her really kind of um feel her energy again after like maybe a maybe like a period of you know getting like a second right. wind in her like because they she also had the performance mm-hmm. where a rob was like taking the video right which was adorable right but i feel like she's had this like kind of comeback energy moving mm-hmm. for a while um and i don't know if it's because she's doing new tours or i mean it might just be i mean it might have to do with turning 50 mm-hmm. i don't know that seems like it's a big watershed moment in a lot of people's lives uh, she, it's hard to say what it is with her. I think that, I think that maybe she's, fin- she's finding out that 
if you stick around long enough, that's the thing. If you keep, mm. if you keep, if you're an icon, you're gonna your things are gonna ebb and flow for you. But if you stick around long enough, you will hit that point where suddenly everyone appreciates you again. Yeah. And I think that's yeah. what she did. Like she just hit that point again where everyone appreciates her again. Mm-hmm. And this movie is a big part of that. Yeah. Um, and now there's talk that she's going to do the Super Bowl halftime show. Oh, wow. Oh, that'll be nice. That will we'll be... watch football this year. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, can, she will fucking nail that. Can you picture yeah. it? No. She will nail it. I'm excited. Um, and that will be, I mean, and she's so perfect for the Super Bowl halftime show yeah. in the sense, almost in a bad sense, because she's so apolitical as a performer and she's just, and she's, in, <laughs> and she's Yet just, she's, um, ethnic enough to exactly, appeal to a large exactly. demographic. She is perfect. Holly have she not asked her to based, do this before. She's an athlete. Um, yeah, she's exactly. dating an athlete. She is, she is the most intersectional <laughs> super time, <laughs> halftime, uh, super Bowl halftime performer they will have ever had. And she will shut it all the way down. I um, mean, she has more than enough hits. That's one of the things oh, that you yeah. realize when you see her in concert is like, Oh my God, this woman has like 25 singles that I know. Maybe we she, can get Ja Rule out there. Oh. We're going to do a fire festival. <laughs> oh, wouldn't that be amazing? All right. Um, well, let's, let's take it back to the movie. Right. Let's yeah. take it back to the movie. Back to the movie. So I think one of the things that, is interesting to me about this uh, about this movie is this question of whether or not it is empowering, uh, because and this is a question that some people were asking uh, after the screening that I saw, and I've seen some talk online about it. Like, okay, so is this story empowering? Hmm, good and, question. Yeah. First of all, it doesn't have to be. Right. Let's put, let's make sure we're yes, we're there precisely. But if you're to ask that question. I would say Hmm. Yeah. Should I you want me want me to talk a little and you can jump in? No. <laughs> I don't. I want you to wait while I think thoughtfully about your question. <laughs> You're like, I'm empowering myself me with your words. Um, I would say Yes. I think that we've seen movies um, or I think this is a story of um, people taking a chance uh, at an opportunity. And at the end of the day, the chance was illegal and they always ran the risk of that. But um, they saw an opportunity and they exploited it. And um, in a way that I think, I don't know, maybe this isn't empowering. (laughs) (laughs) Is it empowering? No. (laughs) (laughs) And it doesn't have to be. Right. Yeah, no. I think That's where I'm at. I think that's a great point is that it doesn't have to be. And I think that's part of what is so... The more I think about this movie, the more radical I think it is and the more almost kind of punk rock it is because Mm. Mm. it it is so profoundly disinterested in the audience's judgment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It is so disinterested in the audience's judgment. And it's aware that people stigmatize strippers and sex workers. But Lorene has said from the beginning, and she said it when she introduced the movie, she's like, this movie is dedicated to strippers and to sex workers, and those are the only opinions that matter to me. Mm-hmm. And it is just like, it is like, it, it, it knows that people have judgment about it, but it's like, eh, we don't care. So it just plows ahead and it tells a story and it tells a story of a, and I think that that is where the empowerment is. The empowerment is in the depiction of, of, of the women and of the, of the humanization of the women mm-hmm. depicting their lives as these dimensional things. 
um, exposing sort of like coloring in the the space around what it is to be a stripper. Um, you know, showing the sort of like the backstage, you know, dealings, uh, the, Mm -hmm. the, you know, the garnishing of wages, the, you know, the different agreements you have to have. And so I think that it, it does, I think any guys who go to see this for like the wrong reasons are going to walk away possibly with a harder time enjoying strip clubs going forward potentially, because they're going to see like sort of how the sausage is made. Uh, in terms of like what yeah, I don't what, think that's going to bother anybody that goes to strip clubs. <laughs> I really don't think it would. Well, yeah, I mean, I think it will just it will just give them a fuller picture of what's going on. The mm-hmm. same way that some guys will be like, oh, once you realize that they're all daughters or any of that dumb oh, shit, God. Uh, you um, know, then it starts to ruin my good time. Uh, but you know, I think that there is there is that empowerment just through depicting their lives honestly mm-hmm. um, and letting them sort of be centered in their own story mm-hmm. um, as opposed and, and in a way that is um, arguably more accurate. You know, this is not like Joe Esterhaus's vision of being a stripper in showgirls. <laughs> um, you know, uh, Lorene worked a lot with, um, well, there was a consultant named Jack, the stripper, uh, J A C Q who was the stripper consultant as well as the comfort coach on the set, mm-hmm. uh, who was there just to work with all of the cast to make sure they felt comfortable at all times. Uh, so I mean, which is in itself empowering, but I think that, you know, I saw an interview with Constance Wu where she said something kind of interesting where she was like, just the fact that people think that it needs to be empowering is itself kind of proof of sexism and double standards mm-hmm. yeah because when you go to watch goodfellas right or moneyball yeah or you're not like oh Wall Street, is how is this going to be empowering like oh good it's empowering it's like we need stories about women to be empowering but why no uh, she's like it's yeah. like you know she's like there's people are uncomfortable with the fact that these women were criminals but they were they yeah. committed crimes and that's like you don't have to equivocate about that and there you know i think there's that there's that there's like a discomfort when it gets to that part of the movie because the things they do in terms of drugging men is a- appalling. It's abominable. I mean, at the same time, it is like, I'm not saying you feel bad for these guys, but like in terms of drugging people under any circumstances, it is wrong. And, but that's the thing is that we're used to watching stories, movies about guys doing bad things and just cheering them on. Sure. Yeah. Um, because we're used to guys being anti heroes in like, in a true sense. Mm-hmm. And I know we've talked a lot about female antiheroes in, you know, sort of different TV shows over the, over the years, but this is a true, I think these are true female antiheroes. Like this is that Scorsese level antihero. This, these are, they're like mobsters. It is like Wolf of Wall Street. It is like Goodfellas. And, you know, the movie's not asking us again. It is not concerned with it, with the audience's judgment of what they do. Yeah. If anything, I, I mean, I feel like this, um, hearing you, makes me think of that you know um the idea that this is like such an american such an american thing the like Mm -hmm. pulling off the scam the heist the like what can you do to get rich quick how how are you being exploited then how can you exploit somebody else Mm -hmm. um because it is like it is like a a a mob story it's a wolf of wall street it's the story of those investment bankers like everything Mm -hmm. they you know they tie a lot of what the justification for what they do to what these investment bankers that they, that other clients are doing. You know, I, right. I think JLo's gives a speech about how like, um, you, it's not their money they're coming in with. Right. They it's stole stolen it. money. It's stolen money. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if anything, it like, 
you know, furthers the narrative of like Trump's America where everyone's like the scammer getting ahead. Mm -hmm. This time it's women. Mm. Um, you know, not the first time, not the last. Mm. Um, but, uh, but I think, I think the thing about those movies, regardless of what it says about American culture, um, that you have is like the story of the fun part, right? You have the glitz and the glamour and you have like the, the, the dynamic editing and, uh, but, but, you know, you don't have to watch, you know, a bunch of, um, guys treating strippers shittily. You Mm -hmm. get to see them enjoying their friends and their family and, um, taking care of their kids. Right. Right. I mean, it's about, and the scene in the car dealership. Oh yes. Amazing. That's a great scene. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's about, it's about, you know, sort of women operating in, you know, a capitalist society that values uh, them for their bodies. Mm -hmm. And it's about them, you know, finding the way to regain their power in that dynamic Mm -hmm. to then use that thing about them that is deemed valuable, you know, in a patriarchal capitalist world and then using that to get the things that they want and that they need um, since they are denied access to the power um, in the boys club of finance uh, you know, it's, it's all, you know, all the subtext is there. And I think it's, it's just, it's profound, uh, you know, and it, and it really just has just the energy of the story. The energy is just so female. Like there are scenes that just go on and on just showing these women, just enjoying each other's company. Um, and I think that's part of where that kind of, this is a party movie vibe comes in. But, you know, I've heard some people say that, oh, well, the first half is so fun and the second half is less fun. And I'm like, well, yeah, that's the structure of every crime movie. <laughs> like the, the demands of, of storytelling dictate the second half is going to be less fun. Right. Because things have there's conflict <laughs> and things go downhill <laughs> and the cops are involved. And, you know, but I think that where it ends, though, is so beautiful. Oh, Just kind of centering this the heart of the relationship between Destiny and Ramona. And this sort of idea of, you know, if they had been friends when they were younger and all these things. You're so not expecting the end. No. Um, The end rocks you. Yeah, it's really, it's gorgeous. And and I know we we talked about the cast briefly, but this is the most inclusive cast. Uh, You know, like it really, it's a cast that centers women of color. There's a great trans actress in the cast. Uh, There is, I mean, there's there's barely any male speaking parts at all in the movie. Uh, And it is... It is, yeah. I don't know. I, this is I'm keeping. This is the future liberals want. Uh, that's, I mean, except the fact that there's still strip clubs. Except the fact that there's still strip clubs. I don't know. I took a moment when. Well, you, I don't know. I just haven't thought about strip clubs in a long time, and you know, I'm in my the bubble of my world, and I'm like, wow, like these things still exist. Mm-hmm. Well, that, yeah. I mean, I guess, and that's where it gets really tricky because you know, I don't know that the characters in this movie would be like, we wish strip clubs didn't exist. Like, why does there need to be any judgment about the existence of strip clubs? I mean, I, th- I think that the existence of strip clubs is a problem because it is um, in in this power dynamic. Like, it's not necessarily, it's not something that shouldn't exist if it was something that somebody wanted to do um, and it wasn't, you know, s- s- didn't come with all of this baggage that it comes with and we're in a place where it is inextricable from that right now and it i don't know yeah well and they probably argue that it's not so different than a lot of other jobs 
uh, you know, like in I mean, J-Lo kind of has a metaphor right at the end of the movie. Sure. No, that, absolutely. That. But it is it is also different. Mm-hmm. It, like, as you see in the movie, like they're, they don't have you know, workers' rights that you would, you know, have in a lot of other places. Mm-hmm. Um, the Yeah, it, it doesn't have... They're, it doesn't. It doesn't work within the rules of like uh, benefits. It, yeah, <laughs> retirement. It, yeah, exactly. Which is why you know in San Francisco we have long been at the forefront of that with things like even though I think it closed, but the lusty lady. I'm not. A, I'm not against people doing sex work. That is not at all my angle. Mm-hmm. But the the dynamic in which it exists right now, the structure in our world, is not uh, ideal. Yes, it's true. It's not ideal, but uh, and that's why you know it's frequently survival work. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and uh, so and I think that what Hustlers does is it puts a very a very humane face on that, and uh, it gives you a great time while also giving you a lot to chew on about gender and capitalism and power, and uh, and just a career best J Lo. This is just. A movie that I can't wait to see again. I'm seeing it again this weekend. Uh, it is a good time. Did Soul like it? Oh, absolutely. 100%. Oh, good. Wonderful. Uh, yeah. It's a pick of the week. I haven't seen the others, so I'm I'm on board. <laughs> You're not going to fight me on this one. Uh, it's rated R for pervasive sexual material, drug content, language, and nudity. That brings us to our second movie of the week, The Goldfinch. Theodore Decker was 13 years old when his mother was killed in a bombing at the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York. The tragedy changes the course of his life, sending him on an odyssey of grief and guilt, reinvention and redemption, and even love. Through it all, he holds on to one tangible piece of hope from that terrible day, a painting of a tiny bird chained to its perch. Let's start off with a question I already know the answer to. Jason, did you read the book? Nope. Me neither. Okay. <laughs> did, you, did you see the movie? Yes. Me neither. Oh, <laughs> no, I didn't. Yeah, this is a book that a lot of people read, a lot of people loved. Uh, I have not read it, and I thought it was a whole different genre than the genre it turns out to be. Yeah, what did you think it was? I thought it was like a mystery, because I think mm. Donna Tartt, the author, didn't she write The Secret History? Like, I thought that I associated her with like mystery thriller type books. Mm. Um, and this is is kind of not that so much. This is more of a sort of Dickensian, you know, sort of wayward orphan goes on a, an odyssey and meets mm. different people. It's, it really reminded me it's a lot Shazam. of, it's, <laughs> it's it, honestly what it reminded me of was white Oleander, mm-hmm. except I love that. And I did not love this. Uh, white Oleander is fucking great. Mm. Oh my oh, I God. I about that movie. Love that movie. I was reminded of it while I was at TIFF ding, because I saw Judy, the Judy Garland movie mm. starring Renee Zellweger and it reminded me of i'm like this is not her first time playing a very very sad actress because in white oleander she played like that failed actress who was married to I noah forgot that was her yeah and she was married well. to like noah wiley i think and he was <laughs> oh. and she was just alone what a different the, time oh i miss the early aunts god yeah so now i just want to watch white oleander that's pretty much how no, I, I think i'm gonna do that tonight throughout yeah, yeah. no I, and you're not gonna regret it but is that our recommendation yeah i would say watch white oleander i mean everyone is so good michelle pfeiffer Robin yeah. Wright, Alison Lohman, who plays the girl. I don't know where she went, but she was great while we had her. Mm. Basically, I think she disappeared after she was cast in Big Fish, and she and Jessica mm. Lange looked too much like each other, and then Alison Lohman just like evaporated. <laughs> she got both, sucked in by the energy. They both walked into the same room. Yes, that's what gave <laughs> Jessica Lange her late career push, was just absorbing Alison Lohman. <laughs> and um, and now that's we don't have her anymore. But So yes, watch White Oleander. Um, watching The Goldfinch, 
I had the thought that maybe it's time for us to just stop ever trying to make novels, especially longer novels, into feature films. Period. Let them be limited series. Oh. Because this book, from what I've heard, is about 800 pages long. And they have crammed it unsuccessfully into a two and a half hour long movie. Mm. And it just is painful. Like no one wins in this situation. Uh, Just like who's going to enjoy it? Like, you know, this is a movie that is the story itself is just not that interesting. And they try to make it more appealing by having this great cast. Nicole Kidman, Sarah Paulson, Luke Wilson, Ansel Elgort and uh, Jeffrey Wright. But there's the story itself. Like I remember I watched the trailer with Scott because I was saying like, oh, this is the movie that's opening the same Friday as Hustlers. This is the competition. This is going to be a big movie because a lot of people love the book. And he's like, what is it about? I'm like, oh, I think it's a mystery. (laughs) I watched the trailer and we just kind of sat there slack jawed like, what is it about? It's about a boy with a painting Mm. who's lost his mom. And then what? (laughs) <laughs> and having watched the movie i still couldn't really answer that question yeah that's um, what it seems like it's hard to really like, yeah so you know so we have yeah this kid who is like you know living this we never see any of his life with his mom before she died um and then we just like see him at first he kind of gets adopted by this very wealthy very affected manhattan family uh nicole kidman plays the matriarch and she has i feel like she has she has regressed in terms of her frozen face, because <laughs> in this, it is just, just, it is just a mask. It is just not moving. It is, it, and she does, and she's really doing this. She's really leaning into stillness in this, <laughs> in this movie. And so she basically, in every scene, she just arranges herself in the exact same relationship to the camera and like the, the and her scene partner. And she just fixes her face a certain way. And she just stares up. And then she just doesn't move. Not at all. She just holds herself that way with just with those blue eyes, just blazing and just enormous frozen forehead. And I'm just like, Nicole, I thought we were past this. Like maybe it was destroyer that did her in. Uh, (laughs) I mean, she was like, I can't do that again. (laughs) She's like frozen forehead. Here we go. Um, And this too is a wiggy movie. Oh, it's also (laughs) she wears several wigs because her character ages. Her character ages actually mightily in a very, <laughs> like, the character, the Ansel Elgort character ages, like, what looks like 15 years. And Nicole ages, like, 45 years <laughs> in that 15 years. I don't know what was going on. It feels like they were, like, over course correcting from how frozen she looked in the first part of the movie. Um, so, yeah. So, he goes to be with this really obnoxious, very sort of, like, Tenenbaum-style uh, mm. Manhattan family. Uh, but then he has to go out. His turns out his father, who is not part of his life, shows up. Who's played by Luke Wilson, and Sarah Paulson plays his girlfriend. And they're Las Vegas trash. And now this like this this kid who loves all the finer things and this pretentious Manhattan kid has to go and relocate to Vegas. And it's a bad situation. And after that, I truly couldn't tell you what happens. <laughs> um, you know how the you know I don't know. Why there are always these stories about how sad adoption is because kids get picked up by millionaire uh, socialite families all the time. All the time. And this movie is finally telling the hard truth. It's, conf- <laughs> it's confronting big adoption uh, <laughs> and exposing uh, the real truth of 
of what goes on. There is um, Finn Wolfhard from Stranger Things uh-huh. um, shows up as the kid's best friend um, while he's living in Vegas. And he's doing this intensely cartoonish Ukrainian accent <laughs> that I nonetheless was like, I'll allow it because <laughs> it's making this movie more interesting. Um, and uh, and yeah, and then literally there's not a single thing that happens once we skip ahead to Ansel Elgort being uh, playing the adult version of this character. I don't know what happens because they cram so much into the third act. It is hysterically rushed. And I, I couldn't, none of it, not a, not a bit of it could I explain. Um, all I know is that it was boring. Very, <laughs> very boring. And the entire time, I just wish that I was back in that house in Vegas watching Sarah Paulson, like, sunning herself next to the pool. Uh, because she is a gift, as always. Oh, of course. But it, does, it doesn't give her so much to do. This, that's part of why I was so mad this movie, is that it has Nicole Kidman and Sarah Paulson. Mm. But it is shitty. It is, and it doesn't give either of them anything for their like career clip reel. One thousand sixty-two pages. Are you fucking kidding me? See, why would you do that? Why would you try to take a thousand plus page? Even it, even Stephen King's it, which is around that length, mm-hmm. is now all told between both movies over five hours long. Like even it understands it is not high literature like the goldfinch and even it knows that you need to have at least five hours to tell a thousand pages of plus book. you know that's gonna that's a very interesting story what story it oh yeah exactly plus it is interesting <laughs> um so this was just uh, oh i mean and it looks great that's the thing like when you're watching it you're like well I, I, it looks like i'm watching a great movie uh, I think Roger Deakins is the DP, and of course he's one of the world's very best. It's directed by John Crowley, who directed Brooklyn, which we loved, um, but uh, with Saoirse Ronan. Mm. But it is just uh, like, man, oh man, it is just one of the worst literary adaptations I have ever seen. Which is a bold statement, having yeah, not read the book. Having not read the book. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, you can just tell it's bad. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and yeah, I mean, I can't even imagine how much they had to cut out. Of it. But basically, whatever it was about The Goldfinch as a novel that made people love it so much has been 1,000% lost in the translation to screen. And watching it from the perspective of somebody who hasn't read the book, it is just the most boring, uninteresting story. Let's just, let me just so while you've been talking... I've been doing something else completely, which is yeah. look up um, information about the book. Sure. And there are, it isn't universally uh, lauded. Like, I'm just going to... I think it won the Pulitzer Prize. Section. Okay, well, hold on. Um, <laughs> Vanity Fair reported that the book had some of the severest pans in memory from the country's most important critics and sparked a full-on debate in which the naysayers believe that nothing less is at stake than the future of reading itself. <laughs> um, someone from the London Review of Books said... Um, the novel's tone, language, and story belong in children's literature. Mm. Um, so, uh, <laughs> the goldfinch is a turkey. <laughs> oh my God. I love that one. So, it didn't come without. Well, sure. It had its detractors. All great words. It also got one of the Pulitzer Prize. Yes. So, there's that. Uh, so, yeah. I didn't realize we were talking about the corrections here. Jeez. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So, it is, it is just a shitty movie i under under no circumstances would i ever advise anyone who hasn't read the book to see it if you have read the book you should see it just out of morbid curiosity just to see what they did to it um and maybe if you have read the book and you go see the movie and you think it's good then let us know because i'd be curious to hear that perspective 
I have not seen it yet. I have just seen a barrage of pans of this movie. Mm. I think it's at 30% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is bad. And it's sort of like it's being acknowledged at TIFF as this year's turkey. Uh, Mm -hmm. This year's sort of big ballyhoo studio movie that just shit the bed completely, despite its all-star cast and pedigree. Um, I heard some old, older ladies on the plane really excited about this. Yeah, I mean, that's the kind of movie it is. And <laughs> they should who, be watching Hustlers. Because who reads old ladies? So, of course, they were excited for and yet it. Yet you don't. And, <laughs> and yet I don't. Another thing about Hustlers, <laughs> I should note, uh, there has been a lot of, um, there is gradually becoming a bit of an outcry from uh, women who do work as strippers saying that, like, okay, cool, you have this movie now, but what about us? Like, if you go see Hustlers, you should go out to a strip club and support us. And Loreen has been, like, retweeting those things and stands with that. So I mean, strip clubs are also very uncomfortable environments because... For some people. Y- yes, yes, because often the clientele is very aggressive and... Um, that's actually, in my experience in strip clubs, okay. it's always the strippers who are actually incredibly aggressive. We I, have different experiences in yes. strip clubs. I've been to the ones that I've been to in Vegas. Uh, <laughs> if you, I think you were there for one of them. I, you did get a wet willy by, um, yes. uh, by a dancer. And, uh, but yes, the times that I've been at, uh, at strip clubs in Vegas, I have not witnessed any aggressive. I think of anything, the clients, the, you know, the people who are at the strip club are just like sitting like, just kind of intimidated by it all. And the dancers I think are if in you're control. Ta- I think if she's talking to all of her uh, gay male friends, you should definitely go to the strip club and support the movie. <laughs> uh, well, if you, well, I think that, well, yeah, this is, you know, obviously a larger debate, but the strippers Wait. are saying, no, come and support us. The only way to support us is to come to the strip clubs. No, but for, what? Yes, I'm no, not that, going to a strip club. That is what they're saying. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm well, just telling you. I'm, just, I'm just telling you what the strippers are saying. Right, but there's a, there's the strippers there's... are saying if you if you support this movie, then you should come and support us at the clubs where we work, and not just go and profit this big movie about us. Like you should what? be supporting us directly. That is not how movies work. <laughs> what? You want to tell them how it works? Yeah, that's not how movies work. I'm not going to go see a movie about um, I don't know Nazis. Right? Right? <laughs> I mean, okay, I did, but still, that's, that was a different time. It was a different time. Listen, the name of that nonprofit was very confusing. I, <laughs> I didn't realize who I was donating to. And I tried to stop payment on the check, but it was too late. I'm very sorry. Checks. Um, yeah, I, that, no, I'm not going to strip club. Um, <laughs> just go into disguise. Just go into disguise. And just like, just like walk in and just like leave a little, a little folder, a little envelope of cash on the stage and then just like run back out. <laughs> no, one, no one will find that suspicious. No, not at all. Um, so you're giving this a send it back? It, it, yeah. I mean, I think it's, it is. I mean, I feel like it's, it's still so beautiful that I have a hard time giving a send it back. Um, mm, I'll say it's like a, it's like a consume minus. You have such a hard time. You could pan a movie the whole time. I know, I know. But then, but then like the lasting, the lasting judgment from the final thing though, I feel like it's a consume minus. Uh, it's an airplane movie. Uh, no. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> i mean maybe it's an airplane movie but it's so long i feel like you just get bored out of your fucking mind watching this on an airplane um so and i don't like i don't like watching serious movies on airplanes i only like watching comedies but uh, i don't know all right fine send it back it's a send it back thank you <laughs> uh, it's rated r for <laughs> drug use and language um and ridiculous <laughs> and that brings us to our last movie of the week which is official secrets the true story of a British whistleblower who leaked information to the press about an illegal NSA spy operation designed to push the UN Security Council into sanctioning the 2003 invasion of Iraq. 
What a what a series of movies this week, huh? Kind of all over the board with this one. Um, yeah, it's fall movie season. That's what happens. That's it. Official secrets. Uh, movie by Gavin Hood. Um, Eye in the Sky. Yeah, Gavin Hood, who is kind of emerging. I guess now has emerged as one of our sort of foremost directors of modern political thrillers, especially as they concern the aughts and the mm. W era, because he also did, in addition to Eye in the Sky, which was a really great um, drone, drone movie. Yeah, drone. If you want to support of- drone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to support Eye in the Sky, <laughs> go to your local drone shop. <laughs> Dronery. Listen. <laughs> Eye in the Sky was critical of being a drone. Hustlers is not critical of being a stripper. I mean, it's not not critical. I think it's not critical of being a stripper. It says this is this job by itself as it is without like going in and, and drugging people and, and getting what you're deserved means you're getting 320s for. Well, no, that's not because the beginning before the recession, they didn't <laughs> do that before the recession. They were having a good old time. It was after the recession that they had to resort to. I mean, the stealing. Listen, <laughs> uh, what I'm saying is that strippers aren't drones. <laughs> you want you know, <laughs> to fight, you know, fight me on that? <laughs> Not yet. But are drones we, strippers? <laughs> well, the stripping drones are. I mean, eye uh, in the sky. Eye in the sky. So there's eye in the sky, which is a really sort of compelling, rich drama about drone warfare starring Helen Mirren. Um, <laughs> and prior to that, um, he had done the movie Rendition starring Reese Witherspoon about um, extraordinary rendition, uh, which, you know, happened a lot during the Bush years of, you know, whenever you would have a person who uh, was identified as sort of a threat to U.S. security who would just be abducted from their homes mm-hmm. and and deported. Weird. <laughs> that sounds familiar. Yeah. That doesn't happen anymore. Um, so, uh, so that is his uh, pedigree. He's also done some really terrible studio movies like Ender's Game and X-Men Origins Wolverine. Oh, he did, huh? Yes, um, but he's much. He's here. Here he is in his in his in his happy place, uh, making movies about how horrible the Bush years were, lest we forget. <laughs> since that keeps happening, uh, this is a true story about a woman named Catherine Gunn. That's her real name, uh, who's played by Kieran Knightley, who is incredible in this movie. Uh, Catherine Gunn was an intelligence uh, an intelligence analyst uh, who worked in the UK, who uh, at one point uh, intercepted a communique from uh, from the U.S. government, from the Bush White House, that was uh, essentially encouraging uh, encouraging the U.K. To, partic- uh, to participate in dredging up some sort of muck that could take down uh, the U.N. Uh, or at least manipulate them into agreeing to sign off on the war in Iraq. Mm. Uh, and so this was just a letter brazenly saying we need to figure out a way to manipulate uh, dishonestly, the UN into signing off on this war we want to do, uh, since they aren't buying the bullshit we've been putting out there so far about it. And we need, if we want the UN's, you know, sign off, this is what we need to do. We need to do it dishonestly. And, you know, this was, this know, feels like a drunk history moment. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sober, I swear. <laughs> and, uh, and then, you know, this was, this was, this was the beginning of the end for, you know, for Tony Blair and the thing mm. that, of course, that tanked his reputation permanently uh, was his, you know, participation in all this and just going along with everything the Bush wanted. And so Catherine Gunn sees this and is just furious uh, to see this sort of just direct instruction for the UK to participate in something that would put a, that would sort of 
make a lie official to the UK people to win support for this war, you know, that was started under false pretenses. And, um, and so she makes a decision to leak this, this, this memo to a friend of hers who is uh, an anti-war activist. And the anti-war activist then leaks it to a journalist played by Matt Smith at the independent, which even though the independent at the time was officially in favor of the war, Mm. And um, and so then, to Catherine's surprise, they and perhaps she was being naive. The Independent runs it in its entirety, and thus begins a uh, giant investigation at her, um, you know, at her office to figure out well who leaked this, who leaked this thing. Uh, there's actually in the movie there's a moment. Anyone who's ever worked as a, as a copy editor, uh, <laughs> there is there is one of the most bone chilling moments for any copy editor in this movie. Uh, when they, when the independent publishes this memo, uh, at first, you know, the whole world is paying attention and it's like, oh my God, look, like here's, here's this memo from the U S where it's just saying very plainly in black and white, we're going to smear the UN. We need to get, we need to get some shit about them so that we can just smear them and get them to sign off on this or else we're going to put this out there. We're going to basically blackmail them. Um, but then the Drudge Report pointed out that the memo as it appeared in the independent had the UK spellings of words that have different spellings uh, in America. And so the judge report was like, so obviously this is written by some British person, some British radical anti-war person who um, is passing themselves off as having written this US memo, but really it's a total fraud. It's a fake. And so, and then just like that, the interest ceases and all of the media interest goes away. And Matt Smith's character is like, what happened? And uh, and then they're standing there in the office and the editor in chief starts screaming like, who did this? Who did this? Because he he provides the original copy he still has. And it's all American spellings. Oh, no. And he's like, who did this? And this trembling woman stands up from a desk and raises her hand tearfully. Oh, and no. And he's like, what happened? And she's just like, just run it through a spell check. Oh, no. And, you know. Anyone out there who works with localization, <laughs> uh, this is a big part of my job, and I just, to my bones, felt a chill in that moment. <laughs> You're just like, I was just doing my job. I was just putting it in the correct English. I didn't know. Uh, so uh, that, that for me, was the true uh, climax of the film. <laughs> was I'm like, well, what's happening to that copy editor? That's all I kept thinking the rest of the movie. <laughs> Um, you know, that's the story. You yeah, need to they tell. they lock up Kira Knightley, but I'm like, where's the copy editor? <laughs> so, uh, but uh, but yeah, no, it's really interesting. I think we've seen we've seen a lot of U.S. movies about that period in time, um, and we had U.S. movies about that period in time while that period in time was still happening. Mm-hmm. Like we had you know Fair Game, the movie about Valerie Plame, oh, right, Naomi Watts. Yeah. Like you know, there were movies about this that were coming out while Bush was still in office, and there was even the movie W <laughs> that right. came out while Bush was still in office. <laughs> Um, but you know, the UK did, you know, Tony Blair did so thoroughly, uh, attach himself at the hip to Bush and just co-sign plus one, every single bit of bullshit along the way. Um, and there, we haven't seen this reflected as much in UK, yeah, yeah. uh, in movies out of the UK. So it's really They're interesting. They're still stuck on Dunkirk. They, it's like, guys, get over it. <laughs> Please. <laughs> Uh, or, you know, Princess Diana movies. Right. So, but, uh, so they're getting there. <laughs> they, I think they've got the Diana stuff out of the system. So maybe next is going to be movies that grapple with the UK's role in mm-hmm. enabling the Iraq war. Um, but, um, but yeah, I mean, this is, it's a movie that is, you know, it feels timely, of course. 
Uh, it is, uh, you know, it's it's inspiring. Uh, it's gripping. It is. Uh, I think it's it's a very. I mean, it feels like a movie you've seen a million times when you're watching. It's pretty straightforward whistleblower thriller. Um, tense. You know, it's yeah. It's very tense. Uh, Keira Knightley does all kinds of things with her jaw. Uh, <laughs> Um, and, uh, but, uh, it's, you know, but it's a really well done whistleblower thriller and, you know, and it actually, the, some of the details around this case in particular, most of all, the way that it resolves are just so fascinating and specific to this case. Ooh. Cause basically it, you think it's leading up to this like climactic courtroom battle, but then something happens in the courtroom that you just would not see coming. And it makes this really distinct from any other movie that's like this, despite all the other similarities it has. I am so excited to see this movie. It is it's pretty good. I don't need it. <laughs> I don't need it for my stress level or my right, or uh, for your own work impulses. Indignation. <laughs> no, <laughs> not that. My own, um, uh, yeah, uh, hope that somewhere in the world someone's doing something to fix something. Right. Um, so false hope. <laughs> yes, exactly. Some false hope and then the idea of of objective truth or reality. Yeah. Um, I. I just need to put that away. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so in that case, don't watch it. Yeah. Um, but, uh, otherwise, very excited. You're giving yeah. this a, you know, I'd say it's like a binge minus. Yeah. You know, it's not a, it's not a masterpiece, but I think I would say it's salt enough that I, I, I would, it comes recommended from me. Uh, so yeah, it's a like binge minus. It's 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 definitely worth a watch, and this good, is this is a good airplane movie. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, or like a date movie for nerds. Yes, date movie for nerds. There is also yes, there's a very sort of tender. Um, she there's a storyline involving her husband, who is ah, who yes. is who is a um. Uh, <laughs> Don't give it away. Well, no, he's he's a Turkish Kurd. Um, he's Muslim, and um, or is it Kurdish Turk? Can you say either? You could. It depends. Okay, he's a Kurdish Turk who's Muslim, and that's and that's something they try to, of course, use against her. But she's like, listen, she's like Hussein, literally, like, like my husband, Saddam Hussein, is my husband's like worst enemy because he has killed so many Kurdish Turks. So this idea that I somehow want to let Hussein off the hook by being against this war is ludicrous. Right. 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 Um, But uh, but the fact that her husband is a Muslim is still sort of used against her, and there's yeah lots of government fuckery involved. So yeah, it's just it's a real rousing uh, good time, and it's ultimately triumphant. And uh, so yeah, I do recommend Official Secrets, even though that title is very cheesy. It really is. But it's actually Uh, but it's 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 the name of the law. It's the name of the law. Oh, and it's also the name of the new podcast I have where I publish all of the terrible things you say when you think we're not recording. <laughs> well, Official those... Secrets, the movie, is yes. rated R for language. Yes. That's it, Jason. That's it. Are we taking a vacay next week? Yeah, we're going on another, another little hiatus. We should be back at the end of September with new episodes. Um, but in the meantime, just go see Hustlers. See it in theaters. It is quite a fun time. And yes. it is uh, unexpectedly moving. Yes, and get get back to us. Let us know your thoughts on whether going to strip clubs is something you should do to support uh, the characters from this movie. I'm just saying not everyone feels safe in a strip club. No, and I think that's fair. Uh, yeah, obviously the strippers aren't saying you know compromise your own personal personal safety to come to a strip club. Mm-hmm. Uh, but of course, I also I used to work at a strip club, so there's that's a different that. story. I'm just saying it's still a strip club. <laughs> I'm saying I've been to strip clubs. I've worked at strip clubs. It's you worked my... at an all male review. <laughs> I worked at a at a at a gay male strip club. That is a different beast. I know it's a different beast. Okay. I'm just saying strip clubs are strip clubs. There's the... there's there's still some things they have in common. Sure, 
like nudity. <laughs> <laughs> and someone cleaning the floors. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> um, that is it. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, be sure to subscribe. Um, whatever you it is, it is you listen to your podcast on. Um, Jason is on Twitter at Excess Faggage. Fight Balance. Thank you so much for listening. Bye, guys. Bye bye. Binging on movies with Rebecca and Jason. You made it to the end. That's amazing. There, there goes, goes the, the binge. binge.